about 1,000 people that are coming. So, um, you know, Mason and me have to have a lot more faith right now. And don't, I mean, I, I'm just like, let's go. I mean, this is going to be an opportunity that we have to, for when people come. And, and Jesus said, Jesus said, he goes, you know, you know when you give uh, a drink of water that you're giving it to me? You know when you give like a, some food, you're doing it as if you're doing it for me? Did you know that when you give somebody a, a shirt, that you're like giving somebody a shirt for me? Did you know that if he would have thought about us in that moment, he would have said, you know when you give somebody an egg <laughs> filled with candy, you're doing it for me? That's what he would have said. And so that's what we're doing. So we are thinking about, man, who can we serve and love and, and, and not only love our neighbor as we love ourselves, but love the person as if we're literally giving something and doing something for Jesus. Doesn't that sound pretty amazing? What an opportunity we have, doesn't that? What an amazing opportunity. So, um, so outside of the 15 of you that already filled one of these out, we need you to fill this out for us today, okay? Uh, uh, just help me out, people. Help me out. No, it's really about serving Jesus, and that's what it's about, and that's what it's all about. That's the only reason why we do this. Uh, not because we, you know, like to put eggs and do an egg hunt. That's not why we do it. It's, what it does is it gives us an opportunity as a church to show our community that we are the body of Christ. That's what the church is, that together, together we can show who Jesus is and we can shine our light. That's what, it, that's what it's all about. And so um, don't be that missing body part, okay? Don't be that missing body part because you are part of us. And, and when you're missing, it's, it just doesn't look right. And so, um, so let's make sure that you are filling this out. Um, we'll put, put you in a place where you're comfortable with. So there's some options for you. Uh, to, to fill this out and so that we can um, best uh, give, maximize our efforts to minister and love our community. Okay, did I mention that there's probably a thousand people coming? Did I, <laughs> did I mention that? Okay, all right, so I just want to make sure. So that those, those sheets of paper are on the information desk. Okay, and so uh, that we also have egg hunt cards. And so really the other uh, task that we want you to do is we want you to invite people we want you to invite people. So here's the way that I want us to sort of think about this, okay? So, and we also have Easter Sunday cards, okay? So we have Easter Sunday cards, and then we also have Easter egg hunt cards, okay? And uh, the, um, no, I take that back. I'm an idiot. We have one card <laughs> with... <laughs> they tricked me at the information desk. I'm sorry, uh, yeah. <laughs> they have, we only have one card. I'm like, I'm thinking up here at this moment, I'm going, why did we make two separate cards? I don't even understand why we did that. <laughs> it's one card. On it, one side says our Easter service on Sunday. The other side says our Easter egg hunt. Uh, yeah, there it is. I got it now. See, our staff is so much smarter than I am. Like, I... 
I probably told them, get two cards, and we'll give, you know, two cards and people to, and they're like, no, we'll just put it on one. And uh, so what we want you to do is we want you to uh, take this one card, and we want you to pass it out. So here, here's what will happen. So let's say 100 people, okay, 100 of you, 100 of us. We hand, we invite five people, okay? We just say, hey, I know it's Easter, and we'd love for you to come. We have a, you know, an event, if you have kids, egg hunt, it's going to be amazing. They're going to get a bunch of things, and it's going to be awesome. We also have a service on Sunday. We'd love for you to come and join me for that. So let's say 100 of us invite five people. How much, how many, how much is that? 500 people? I'm not a mathematician. I certainly have, can't under, get down, you know, one or two cards. So, so let's say 500 people. Let's say 100 of us invited five people. Just in five people. And those 500 people, can you imagine that? 500 people in this room on Sunday morning. That would just be amazing. Wouldn't it be incredible? Now, let's see, you say, not all of them are going to show up. Okay. Let's say just 10%. Let's say just 10%. What's that? 50 people. I already knew it. I was just asking if you knew it. 50 people. 50 people show. 10% of the 500 people that we invited over the next couple weeks, 50 people showed up. Would that be pretty cool? That'd be pretty amazing. And let's say I present the gospel message and I give who Jesus is and what Jesus is all about and what the free gift of eternal life is and it's through Jesus and it's grace that's been extended to every single one of us. That's 50 people that are going to hear the gospel message of Jesus Christ that he has forgiven our sins. He has canceled our debt and all we have to do is believe in him and we will have eternal life 50 people if only 10% of our 500 people that we invited show up. You're like, oh, pastor, 50 people are not going to make a decision for Jesus. Let's say only 10% make a decision for Jesus in two weeks. How many is that? Five people. How amazing would it be? For five people to make a decision for Jesus. Is that realistic? I think so. I think so. So you take this one card. You don't need two. You just need one. Take five of the one card that we made. And invite five people. See what happens. Does that sound okay? I think it does. I think it does. All right. I'm done. Fill out a volunteer form, take some cards, they're on our information desk, invite people, invite people, and let's see what God does, okay, in the next two weeks. Does that sound good? All right, okay. All right, I'm going to ask those that are here to come and help us take the offering. As they come on down, I'm going to pray, ask God to bless. Lord, we, um, <clears throat> what we care about more than anything else is just making your name known continuing to allow your, your fame to be throughout all of this community and around and as far as the world goes, Lord. We want your, your name, the name of Jesus, to be exalted, to be lifted up, to be shown, to be demonstrated, to know that people can be forgiven for their sins and know that that sin debt can be canceled and that they can be made brand
Ferrari begin to have a new relationship with you, a relationship that is far beyond, better than any other relationship that we have on this earth. God, we're so great, grateful that you've extended that love, you've extended that kindness, you've extended your grace to us when we didn't deserve it. We certainly didn't earn it, but you just offered it to us as a free gift, a free gift. So, Father, I pray, Lord, that that zeal and that excitement just explodes out of us, especially in the next couple weeks, that we try to take advantage of this time of year where people start to think about who Jesus is and around this time of year where people start to think about connecting to a church or, or at least trying out a church that we are that we take a hold of our part our role in the body of your son Jesus and he's our head and we are taking a part of that and we're extending out just, a, just an invitation to people to, to come see how good you are. Pray, Lord, that you use it in a mighty way. Bless the next couple weeks as we have an opportunity to serve and to love people as if we're loving you and serving you. Pray you bless the offering today. Use it. Pray that a guest today doesn't feel that they need have to have any need to give anything here in this moment. I'm so grateful that they're here today.
you have a Bible, um, Acts chapter 1, if you brought a Bible, we're going to be looking in Acts chapter number 1. If you don't have a Bible, um, there's a Bible in the seat around you. We ordered some more Bibles, uh, so you can have one if you don't own a Bible. Um, you, that's a gift to you. Uh, if you don't own a Bible, we'd like to have one. We're also going to have the, the verses up on the screen uh, here as well. But we're starting a new series for the next couple weeks leading, leading into Easter Sunday called Resurrection Investigation. And we're going to look at um, some things um, that, um, that we learned throughout history of why uh, we believe that Jesus, if you're a Christian, why you believe that Jesus uh, rose from the grave and why you believe he resurrected. And there's reasons why I'm not a Christian. There's reasons why I wouldn't be a Christian. Um, Jesus' teachings, some of Jesus' teachings um, are valid reasons of why I wouldn't be or want to be a, a Christian. Some of his teachings were very challenging. Uh, one of the teachings that Jesus taught was is that we are to uh, love our enemies and pray for them. Doesn't that sound like a hard thing to do? Come on, let's be honest. We're just going to be honest here today and say, man, that's a challenge for me. There are people that persecute me or, or treat me poorly, you know, people that have taken advantage of me, people that have hurt me. Boy, it is hard to love them, isn't it? Can I get a little bit? Yeah, it is hard to love. It is hard to, to pray for them. So, But Jesus said, you know what? Here's what I want you to do. He says, I want you to love your enemies. I want you to pray for them. He even said that if somebody slaps you in the cheek, boy, that is the most irritating thing in the world, isn't it? I mean, if somebody just slaps you in the, in the cheek. I mean, I have a three-year-old that will sometimes just come up to me and just haul off and just, wham, just give me, like, sock me right in the face. And I'm just, I have to, like, oh, like regroup for a second. It's just like this, you know. You know and boy, he, here's what Jesus said. If somebody slaps you in the cheek, you know what he said? Turn the other cheek to them. Turn the other cheek. If somebody asks you to go to mile, he says, I want you to go two with them. Some of these teachings that Jesus gives us are very, very challenging. Jesus said, hey, you either, you either choose God or you choose money. You can't have both. You either choose God and love God or you have to lo love money. Or you, if you can't, you can't have both. You have to choose. Jesus said, don't worry about anything. Boy, that's one of those irritating teachings, isn't it, of Jesus? Hey, listen, look at, you know, he tells them, look at the birds, you know, and people are worried and, you know, stressed and have anxiety over so many different things. And he says, hey, hey, listen, listen, Jesus said, don't worry about anything. Seek God instead. Here's what Jesus said. He goes, you know, you know what it looks like for somebody who's a follower of me, told, told a group of people, here's what you need to do. He said, if you're truly a follower of me, here's what you need to do. You need to deny yourself and you need to take up your cross now i'm going wait a minute you mean i have to deny my own urges sometimes deny what i want to do personally sometimes i need to deny you know my, my own you know self you know needs and i need to deny myself and jesus would say yeah you need to if you're a truly a follower of me you need to deny yourself you need to take up your cross which means you need to make sacrifices for the sake of others that's what the cross meant for jesus and so jesus said hey if you want to be a follower of me, you must deny yourself and need to take up your cross. 
You know what else Jesus said about being a follower of him? He said, hey, if you want to be a follower of me, you need to hate your brother, your sister, your parents, your spouse. You need to hate them, and you need to follow me. Now, what did that mean? Like Jesus is like going, no, 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 you just need to hate them. What he's saying is that when it comes to the relationship that you have with me, this relationship needs to take precedent over any other earthly relationship that you have. I mean, these are just a few things, a few of the teachings of Jesus that I'm going, I don't know how much I really want to be a Christian if this is what you're saying to me. I don't know about this whole deny myself. I don't know about this whole, you know, choosing God versus money. I don't know about this whole idea of praying for my enemies. I, I, don't, I don't know about, you know, turning the other cheek or going the extra mile. What is it? Of what, why is it that, that, that Jesus made these claims? Well, Jesus made these claims because he understood that these were things that would, were beneficial to us. He understood that these were things that we needed more than anything else. But listen, these teachings are not why I'm a Christian. And these teachings ought not to be the reason why you are Christian. The reason I'm a Christian is that I believe that Jesus, and we're going to look at some reasons and we're just going to scratch the surface. I'm, I wish I had more time. I wish you would give me more time because I would be up here for two hours if you let me. But you get hungry and you get cranky and you just want to go home. I, get, I understand. So we're, we're just going to cr- scratch the surface of different things over the next few weeks. But the reason why I'm a Christian are not based on the claims of his teaching. And that's not how Christianity began. How Christianity began and why people became Christians were not based on his teachings because they're hard. Aren't they? They're hard. Here's why I'm a Christian. Because Jesus made this claim. Jesus said in John 11, verse 25, he says that I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in Not he who does my teachings. Not he who sticks to all of my claims. But he who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone, he says, says, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. And he asked the greatest question, the question that I'm asking you today. Do you believe this the reason why i'm a christian and the reason why you are a christian and the reason why we gather on sunday mornings and the reason why i'm standing before you today is because i am staking the in in the claims that jesus beat death and therefore whatever he taught i'm going to try to do to the best of my ability That whatever he says we ought to do, I'm going to try to do. Not because he said them, but because all of the credibility comes from him. Because I believe, and I want you to believe, that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. All of this is for one claim. And Jesus said, here's what what it is. 
that I beat death. And because I beat death, and when you put your faith in me, when you believe in me, guess what will happen to you? You will beat death and have eternal life. That's why I'm a Christian. And I hope that's why you're a Christian. There are some uh, writers, historians, that um, um, outside of biblical references, there's probably 10 to 12 uh, what is called extra-biblical resources that stake claim in Jesus. About 10 to 12, which is a lot. If you put them all of together, all of the resources together, there's probably over 40 resources that stake the claim that, that Jesus was uh, the, the Son of God, that Jesus was the, the, the Christ, the Messiah. And so outside of biblical doctrine, outside of the biblical manuscripts that we have in our New Testament, here are some things that people said about Jesus who were people that were not Christians. Okay, These were first century historians who casually wrote about a movement that was happening, but it was sort of an undertone of political motivations that they had. But they wrote about as a sort of just it's just it was just going on. And so here's what out of all of the resources, this is outside of biblical uh, doctrine or biblical manuscript. Here are some things that we can know of people that are not even Christians or, or didn't claim to be Christians. That Jesus was a Jewish teacher. That many people believe that he performed miracles. Again, these are extra biblical examples of what people wrote when it came to the, the Christian, Christian movement. Some believe that he was the Messiah. He was rejected by Jewish leaders. He was crucified under Pontius Pilate in the reign of Tiberius. This, despite his shameful death, his followers who believed that he was still his, his followers who believed that he was still alive spread beyond Palestine, so that there are multitudes of them in Rome by AD 64. And then the other thing that, that we know outside of extra biblical example is, is this is that all kinds of people from every tribe, nation, and tongue, men and women, slave and free, worshipped him as God. This was, these were historians. These were those who were just sort of not writing under the purposes of Christianity or the purposes of Jesus. But these were claims about Jesus that we don't even find outside of our New Testament Bible. These are the things that were just known of how Jesus was described. Are you with me so far? Okay, let me give you a couple examples of that, okay? Um, Cornelius Tacitus was a Roman historian in the first century, okay? And here's what he said. Here's what he wrote in, in one, of his, one of his writings as a, as a historian. Here's what he says. To dispel the rumor... Nero substituted as culprits and treated with the most extreme punishments some people popularly, popularly known as Christians whose disgraceful activities were notorious. The originator of that name, Christus, has been executed when Tiberius was emperor by the order of the procreator Pontius Pilatus. But the deadly cult 
though checked for a time, was now breaking out again, not only in Judea, the birthplace of this evil, but even throughout Rome, where all the nasty and disgusting ideas from all over the world pour in and find a ready following. This was a Roman historian in the first century who wrote these things and these claims about Christianity and about Jesus. Let me give you another one. This guy, was, his name is Josephus. Josephus was a, um, a traitor. He was a Jewish priest. Um, when during the, the Jewish-Roman War from the time of uh, A.D. 66 until A.D. 72, um, some Roman uh, rulers came in, some Roman authorities came in, and they, they, were, they told the priest to either recant their faith or, or, um, or drink the poison. Well, Josephus refused to drink the poison, and he recanted his faith. Even though he was a, a Jewish priest, he recanted his faith. And, and all of his fellow priests all committed suicide. And he would say in his writings that he felt that it was God's will not to commit suicide. Though even he, but the reason was that he was just a coward. And he became a writer and a, an historian for Rome. And here's what he says. Here's some, some things that, that Josephus said. A former priest, traitor, working now for the, the, the Roman uh, Empire. He, here's what he said. He said, about this time, there lived Jesus, a wise man, for he was a performer of wonderful deeds. And, and the way that he was just meaning that was that he did deeds of wonder. He did some miracles is what he was, what he was claiming. He, he didn't say that it was, wasn't happening. He just said that this is what he did. He would did a performer of wonderful deeds. A teacher of such men as are happy to accept the truth. He won over many of the Jews and many of the Gentiles. When Pilate, at the suggestion of the leading men among us, had condemned him to the cross, those who had loved him at, at the first did not forsake him. And the tribe of Christians, so named for him, are not extinct to this day. Not extinct to this day. These are just a couple examples out of many, many different writings and many, many non-Christian historians to prove the existence of a man named Jesus from Nazareth. And these were not biblical writers. This is outside of biblical context. These were people who just were writing about the history that was going on in their culture and in that time. And these are the things that were revealed to them. Now, one of the problems that, um, one of the biggest problems that um, we have in, in our New Testament is that our New Testament writers claim that when Jesus was crucified, when Jesus was on the cross, that the earth went dark. You remember this? When Jesus was hanging from the cross, that the earth went dark and that there were earthquakes. There are non-Christian, extra-biblical people who say that, they, that this happened, that this happened. And this, is, this has been problematic for those who are skeptics, those who aren't really sure about this whole Christianity thing, and really if even Jesus even existed. And so this was a problem. But there were some early church fathers who wanted to find some, some uh, people who wrote about 
what may have happened that day. And here's what they found. Here's what they found. They found um, one historian who wrote this in AD 52. He wrote, he wrote a, a history of the Eastern Mediterranean world since the Trojan War. And in his, in his third book describing about the histories, he described an unusual midday darkness. And he described it as an eclipse of the sun. That's one example. This guy named Thallus. A historian who wrote that on a certain day, midday, there was an eclipse of the sun. That's one reference that Origen, one of our church fathers in, in the first century, he found this writing from this guy and he said this is what he said about that particular event. We know what happened that God caused darkness when, the, when Jesus was dying on the cross and all of the sin of mankind was on him that human eyes, even the eyes of God, couldn't even look on him that God had to turn his back. On his son. That's what we know. That's what we believe that happened. But there are people. There's, that's one reference. Let me give you another reference. Which is I think already up on the screen. Uh, this is a guy. Um, who wrote. Uh, he was a Greek author. And, uh, and he wrote. Uh, what he's in, in, in about the 202nd Olympiad. Which is example. What, what is that? It's, uh, it's 33 AD. And here's what he said. All right, his name was Phlegon. Phlegon. Here's what Phlegon said. The greatest eclipse of the sun, it became, he called it the greatest eclipse of the sun. It became night in the sixth hour of the day, noon, so that the stars even appeared in the heavens. These are two extra biblical references of an event that happened that we believe that happened in our New Testament, in the gospel writings, that it was described in a certain way for those who have faith, but even those who had no faith in Christianity or in the person of Jesus, and certainly not in the resurrection of Jesus, had there's two accounts of men who said, it must have been an eclipse of the sun. Now, here's why we know that, that, that it was an eclipse of the sun. Because when Jesus died on the cross, it was Passover. Passover. And science says, science says that it would be impossible scientifically for there to have been an eclipse of the sun during the time frame of Passover because the moon is on the wrong side of the earth. Isn't that cool? I, I, am I boring you? I just love this stuff. I, I hope you're with me. Listen, it was scientifically impossible for two separate ancient writers, historians, that just sort of said, well, it just must have been an eclipse of the sun. Scientifically impossible. But we know what it was, don't we? We know what it was. Okay. All right. Let's move on. I hope you're having fun. I am. A <laughs> couple other examples. Archaeological. Archaeological sources. In 1968, we have an image of this. In 1968, uh, they excavated um, uh, the temple in Jerusalem that was, that was destroyed. 
revealing that, revealing that, the evidence of the temple's destruction. Do we have that image, Reuben? Revealing the, te the temple's destruction um, in A.D. 70. So they excavated that, and that's they're still working on that even to this day. And, and that, what that proved was that, that, was, that it actually happened, that the temple destruction actually happened in, in A.D. 70. Now, in the Gospels, Luke specifically um, says that Jesus predicted this. Jesus predicted that this would happen, that the destruction of the temple would take place. And we know and we've learned that it happened in, in, AD, in AD 70. Now, this was a cataclysmic event for the Jewish people. This was for, 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 for Rome to come in, and it happened during the Rome and Jewish wars, for Rome to come in and, and destroy the Jewish temple was cataclysmic. And we have archaeological evidence of when it happened. And it happened during the time frame of 70, around 70 AD. The question that I have and many biblical scholars have is this. Why, if the Bible, if our New Testament was written later, which, which many believe that it was, Many believe that our New Testament Bible was written later than what um, a lot of uh, Christian scholars say that it was. If it was written later than 70 AD, if our New Testament, what we have, Paul's letters, Peter, James, if it was written later, why, didn't, why wouldn't they have mentioned anything about it? The reason is because the Bible, our writers wrote earlier than 70 AD. They wrote earlier than that. There's, there's even some other evidence to, to show that um, Acts, uh, which is a book that we're we going to look at in a second here, Acts follows the life of Peter and Paul, Paul mostly. And in the book of Acts, um, Luke, who's the writer of Acts, he writes of um, two deaths, the, the deaths of Stephen and the death of James, who is the brother of John. He writes those two deaths. But if his writings in Acts were written later than, than 70 AD, then why wouldn't he have wrote about when we know historically happened that Peter and Paul, historically proven that Peter and Paul were killed by Nero in the 60s. Historically proven. So if... if if Luke, who's writing the account of our book called the book of Acts, and he's writing about, you know, the fact that there's a guy named Stephen, and he was killed for his faith, and there was a guy named James, and he was the brother of John, he was killed for his faith. Then the book that he was writing about in the lives that he was following mostly, Peter and Paul, why wouldn't he have written about their deaths? Why wouldn't he have written about their deaths? Because he already wrote it. And we know that he already wrote it. Because there's even archaeological evidence of Paul's presence and Paul existing in, 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 through, through, uh, in Corinth around 50 AD. There's archaeological evidence to prove this as well. That Paul was around that time and Paul was writing those letters. So I'm just going to go out on a limb. Paul and Peter couldn't have wrote their letters if they were dead. 
I know I went out on a limb there. But if they were all, if, 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 if there's evidence to prove that they were dead by probably 62 A.D. or 64 A.D., then they couldn't have written their letters. And so their letters were already written prior to 70 A.D. There was another discovery found um, that is one of the greatest discoveries that we have uh, proof, proof of, uh, of things is that Josephus, this, this historian writer who wrote uh, about Christianity a little bit in his, in his writings, though he had a lot, of, a lot of different writings, he wrote about how James died. He wrote about how James died. And, um, and, and, and he, here's, here's what he says about that. Um, and again, his, his goal was to talk about Roman politics and, and, uh, and anybody that opposed to that or thought that they were opposed to, to Roman government. Uh, these were the things that he spent his time with, though it wasn't the main uh, idea or the main message of, of his writings. But the younger Ananus, who, as we said, received the high priesthood, was of a bold disposition and exceptionally daring. He followed the party of the Sadducees, who are severe in judgment above all the Jews, as we have already shown. And as therefore Ananus was of a disposition, he thought, he though he had now a good opportunity, as Festus was now dead, and Albinus was still on the road, so he assembled a council of judges and brought before it to the brother of Jesus, the so-called Christ, whose name was James, together with, his, with some others. And having accused them as lawbreakers, he delivered them over to be stoned. This guy, again, a non-Christian, wrote about in a time frame earlier than 70 AD of the death of a guy named James, who he says was the brother of Jesus. And he describes how he died. Now, he just says that he was stoned, which is true. But you know how James actually died? James, the brother of Jesus, was so devoted to his older brother and believed so strongly that his older brother truly was the son of God. Now, how much faith does that take, right? To believe that your sibling is the son of God, the Christ, the child. So James has, says, it was recorded in history that James, yes, he was stoned. But you know what they tried to do first to James? Because he wouldn't recant his faith in his brother Jesus. They took James up to the temple. And they pushed James off the top of the temple and he landed on the ground, and he survived that. It tells us that James got up after being pushed off of the temple by his accusers, got up and started praying for those who pushed him off the temple. He started praying for them, asking God to forgive them, for they know not what they do. Who does that sound like? They then got so angry that he didn't die after they pushed him off the temple that they started hurling stones at him. They started stoning him. He still wasn't dead, and they still weren't satisfied. So you know what they did? They got a launderer, somebody who does laundry, 
And when they did laundry, the way that they would speed up the process of, of air drying the, the, the laundry, they would have a, a bat or a club, and they would beat the laundry with it. They asked the launderer to come over and beat him in the head with the club that he used to, to dry, help the process of drying the clothes. That's actually how James died. Why would James do that? Based on the teachings that Jesus said, hey, love your enemy, pray for them. Hey, you want to be a follower of me? You got to deny yourself and you got to take up your cross. Hey, you want to you wanna know what it means to follow me? You have to forsake your family, and you need to love me first and foremost above any other relationships that you have. If that's what, you, if that's what it looks like, you've got, you got to do that. Hey, if somebody smacks you in the cheek, you got to turn your other cheek. That's why James died? No! James died because his brother said he was going to die. His brother said he was going to rise on the third day, and he saw his brother do that. And so therefore, James said, you know what? No matter what anybody does to me, no matter if they push me off a temple, no matter if they throw stones at my head, and no matter if they take a club to my head to finish me off, I will not deny what I saw. And he is alive. That's why. That's why. And that's why I'm standing here yelling at all of you. Not because I enjoy that, but I do a little bit. There's a little bit of it. And it's not because I love denying myself, because who loves doing that? Not because I love praying for my enemies, because who loves doing that? Not because, you know, I, I want to be, you know, when I get slapped in the cheek, I want to turn my other cheek. Not because when I walk, walk a mile, I should walk a second mile with those who are making me walk a mile already. I don't even want to walk a mile. Why would I want to walk two miles? But we do it because we believe that Jesus rose from the grave. And there are people outside of the Bible who can't even deny certain truths about what we already know is true. You know, not too long ago, this was the, one of the great archaeological discoveries. They found um, an ossuary, which is a, a name for a bone box. They found a bone box. Let me show you a picture of the bone box that they found. And on that bone box that they found not too long ago, there was an inscription on it. And here's what the, here's what the, the inscription looks like. It was written just, just on the, the side of the bone box. And here's what that says. Here's what that says. And, and you read it from, not that any of you can read Arabic, but um, you read it from right to left. And written in Arabic, here's what it said on that, on that bone box. It says, James, the son of Joseph, but then it says, the brother of Jesus. James, the son of Joseph, 
and the brothers of Jesus. And, and, the, and the skeptics are going, oh, come on. I mean, I mean, this was first century, you know, Judy, you know Ju- Jewish culture. It, 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 you know, of course, there was, there was lots of Jameses, and there was lots of Josephs, and there was a lots of Jesuses, and, and that's just how it was. I mean, come on. But listen, here's what they can't deny. Here, they can't deny the fact that it is, it is not unusual to say James the son of Joseph. That's not unusual to have on a bone box. But what was unusual to have is it said, the brother of Jesus. None of them had those things. By the way, those ossuaries only existed for, from a little before Christ was born until 70 A.D., Josephus, a non-Christian historian, said Josephus died in the early 60s. James wrote a book called James, clever, I know. He wrote that it had to have been written before 70 A.D. You say, why are you telling us these things? Because here's what's significant, I think. All other religions, Buddhism, you know, Muslim faith, they all recorded their dedicated Messiah or their dedicated leader centuries later, centuries later. They recorded the stories of Buddha and what he did and and they recorded the things of Muhammad and his teachings centuries later. But not Christianity. Christianity's recordings were not written centuries later. Christianity's recordings were written 20 years, 30 years, maybe 40 years after they saw a risen Savior. If something significant happened in your life and you were a witness to that, would you ever forget that in your lifetime? Would you ever forget that? A couple examples. Um, The Challenger, the tragedy of the Challenger. That happened in 1986, okay? I was like seven or eight years old when that happened. Do you know that day I remember that I stayed home from school? I pretended like I was sick. I really wasn't sick. I just pretended. My mom's just now learning that. That happened over 30 years ago. But you know that I remember being at home, laying on the couch. My mom turned the TV on. I'm laying on the couch. She was just getting done vacuuming. And we watched it go up. And we watched it explode. I remember my mom tearing up. I remember her going on to the, getting on the phone and calling probably her sister. I was eight years old. And it happened over 30 years ago. And I remember a lot of details. I mean, is anybody going to ever remember where you were, or where you were at when 9-11 happened? We could go around the room and everybody in this room could tell me where you were when 9-11 took place. 
until you die, all of us are going to say, this is where I was. I remember where I was. I was at work. I was getting ready to, to go, and, and I was preparing a message. I was getting ready to go to a school and, 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 and preach a sermon to a Christian school, and I was working on that, and I was getting into my car. I was really just more consumed about that than what was actually going on in the news, but I'm just telling you, I was, this is what happened. I remember going to the school. I remember preaching a sermon, and I remember seeing all of the teachers sort of just chaotically kind of try to figure out what is happening in our world while I'm preaching a sermon about who knows what, and I don't, and I don't know exactly what that was, but I just remember every little itty bitty detail and I'll never forget it and neither will you here's why Christianity is so significant because every other faith was written long after those who they claim to be their leader long after he died but when Jesus died and he rose again they immediately started to write down the things that he said and the things that he taught just a few years later. I believe that there's so much evidence to the truth of who Jesus is, even outside of biblical example. Historians, the writings, and the proofs of those outside of just your Bible that you have. But those are credible resources too. The Bible that you have, that's credible too, don't you think? Don't you think? So Luke, who wrote Acts, here's what he said. Here's what he said. He said, the first account I composed, what's the first account? The Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke, that's his first account. I composed Theophilus about all that Jesus began to do and teach. So Luke, just a few years after Jesus resurrected, Luke began to write down all the things that Jesus did, all the things that he began to teach, and he started writing all these things down. He, started, he said, I, I wanted to make sure that everybody understood that this is what he was about and this is what he taught. And he says, until the day when he was taken up to heaven, after he had been, by the Holy Spirit, given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. He says in verse 3, to these he also presented himself alive. He said, this is the reason why I'm writing this account. And he was writing, Luke was writing to one person, Theophilus. He says, this is the reason why I'm writing this account. It's because, not because of what he did or what he taught, but based on what he he, he presented himself alive. And so when he presented himself alive, that's what inspired me to go and write down what he did and what he taught. Because if anybody's going to say that they're going to die and then they're going to beat death and then they present themselves alive, I'm going to go and write down everything that he said to do and I'm going to go and try to follow everything that he taught us. He says that he presented himself alive after his suffering. And here's, I love this, by many convincing proofs appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. According to Paul's writing, it says that he appeared to over 500 people in a period of 40 days. He appeared to over 500 people. It was convincing proof for them. Verse 4, gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard of, of from me. He says, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not, not many days from now. 
So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times of the epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority. But here's what he says. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses. And you shall be my witnesses. That the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you and is going to infiltrate into your life. And you're going to be a new creation according to Paul's writings. And with that, when that happens, he says, I want you to be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and even the remotest parts of the earth. Listen. And he said in verse 9, we're going to get back to verse 8 in a second. He says, after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a, a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. And I love this. They also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. As a Christian, we believe that Jesus is coming back again. And these, these guys in white are telling those that were standing there that day and are telling you and me today, let's not stop and stand and look in the sky and wait for him to come back. He says, I don't want you to stand and stare in the sky until I come back. I want you to go and I want you to be my witnesses. That's what I want you to do. Because there are convincing proofs and I bored you for 30 minutes on these convincing proofs of there, there is archaeological evidence to prove his existence. There is early writings to prove his existence. There is extra biblical people who are not Christian to prove his existence. And their claims are sometimes better than the claims that some Christians make about him. But the reality is, is that he is coming back one day. And he is going to come through the clouds one day. But until then, let's stop looking at the sky and waiting for him to come back. And I got to tell you, there are days that I'm looking at the sky going come on Lord come back because this life is hard this is not easy but the message is still the same quit looking up to the sky and start being my witnesses now let's go back to verse 8 real quick verse 8 he says listen I want you to be my witnesses both in Jerusalem Judea and Samaria let me tell you something that's already been covered you don't need to go to Jerusalem, it's already covered. You don't need to go to Judea, already covered. You don't need to go to Samaria, already covered. But you know what isn't already covered for you to be a witness for him? The remotest parts of the earth. So let me give you an example. When, the, when Luke was writing this to Theophilus, here's what he was thinking about when he was writing this letter to Theophilus when it comes to the remotest parts of the earth. Let me show you a map of a place that he would consider to be the remotest parts of the earth. Anybody know this area? Am I familiar with this remote part of the earth? When Luke is writing convincing Theophilus of the convincing proofs that he saw Jesus alive and all through history they have claimed that Jesus is alive and I'm standing here because I believe 
that he is alive and we're only scratching the surface. You need to come back next week so I can bore you again and then try to motivate you to say, listen, you and I are sitting in the remotest parts of the earth for one reason and one reason only, to be his witness. Can I get a witness in the room right now? Can I get a witness right now? There we go. That's why we're here. That's why we're, that's why we want, listen, I know that some of you, listen, some of you have friends and coworkers that need to hear about this stuff. They need to hear that the gospels and the writings of Paul and the writings of Peter and the writings of James and the writings of John were written not centuries later, just a few years, just a few years. And of course they wouldn't forget something so cataclysmic as a risen Jesus. Of course they wouldn't. You wouldn't. I wouldn't. He says until he comes again, you and I, we need to be witnesses. We need to be witnesses. So we made this one card. I love it how everything comes in full circle. So we made this one card for you to say, hey, would you come and see what this Jesus is about? I'm not asking you to go on some street corner and some walled lake street anywhere and just yell out and stop your sound system and have your mic set out and say, Jesus, you know, you're going to go to hell if you don't believe in Jesus. That's not what I'm telling you to do. All I'm asking you to do, all we're asking you to do is to hand out a card to five people. amazing, isn't he? Witnesses, he's amazing, isn't he? Witnesses, he's incredible, isn't he? Witnesses, he's transformed lives, doesn't he? Witnesses, he's made us brand new witnesses. He has forgiven us of our sins, witnesses. He is, we get to have eternal life through him, witnesses. So let's be a witness. Let's stop looking up into the sky and let's start being witnesses for what many of you already believe and already know who Jesus is. You didn't need me to give you all that. I'm going to give you more next week, and I hope you come more, and I hope you're just, it's just ammunition. I hope it's just enthusiasm for you to just say, you know what, this is just confirming what I already believe, but at least now I have some things to go off of when I have a conversation with somebody about Jesus. Because I'm not supposed to stare at the sky. Oh, he's coming back. But I'm not wanting him to be looking, have, find me looking up at him. I'm wanting him to find me being a witness. Because I know, and I hope you know, there's convincing proof that he is the resurrection and he is the life. Right? right. God, thanks for the time. Thanks for the day. Thanks for the opportunity to be your witnesses. God, you've challenged us. You've transformed us. You've allowed us to be a part of something much bigger than us. To play a role in your kingdom. You know, one day you are coming back. And when you do come back, you're going to make everything that's wrong right we look forward to that day but until then 
we're just going to be witnesses. We're going to be witnesses for those who need to come and put their faith in you. Not work harder or do more or earn their way into good standing with you, but just to put their faith and their trust in you. That you are the resurrection and the life. And the reason why we love our enemies and pray for them, the reason why we turn the other cheek to those who slapped us, the reason why we go the extra mile, the reason why we deny ourselves and we carry our crosses is because you beat death and you tell us to do these things. You have all the credibility in the world. Enough for us to say, I'm a witness. I'm a witness of something great, something amazing. Be with us this week. I pray, Lord, that they take cards and are going out. I pray, Lord, that you give them the courage to invite five people. Invite five people. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great day.